Worshipful brethren, brethren all, welcome to Freemasonry in seven minutes or less. In this episode, Brother Earnshaw will be giving some information and some ideas he has about George Payne. Over to you, Brother Earnshaw. Thank you. So, as you know, one of the first three Grand Masters who established the Premier Grand Lodge in, in 1717 was George Payne. Um, but I think a lot of the brethren don't know much about his life, so I looked into it. Uh, he was born in Chester around um, 1685, but when he was 18, his father's business went under and life got very difficult for the Payne family. Uh, probably through an introduction by his father, he found a job in London when he was 26. And it seems that Payne first met John de Sagulier at around this time when de Sagulier was giving public demonstrations of some of his experiments. George Payne also had a brother, Thomas, who was four years younger, who entered Christ Church, uh, Oxford University, and who might also have met de Sagulier, who was also studying at Christ Church at the same time. So it seems that the, both the Payne brothers first met de Sagulier around 1711, with Thomas introducing de Sagulier to his brother George. As George had not matriculated university, uh, he started in a fairly junior position in the tax office uh, as an assistant to the uh, Compton General on a salary of about, of actually 50 pounds a year, which in today's money is about 12,000 pounds. Hmm. Well, that doesn't sound much, but you have to remember that in those times, um, uh, 1711, 1720, a pint of beer was only tuppence. <laughs> and you could rent an apartment in Grosvenor Square in the centre of London for £115 a year. <laughs> mm. yeah, so £12,000 went quite a way. <laughs> Uh, Money in those days uh, obviously went much further than it did does today. Also, the other thing to mention is the city, uh, sorry, the, the centre of society was actually the city of Westminster, where the king was. And Grosvenor Square was on the edge of the newly developed part of London, which was actually between uh, the city of London and Westminster, what is now called the West End. So um, it was a newly developed area, so perhaps rents were a little bit cheaper. I don't know. Um, Payne worked at the tax office for about 40 years and eventually as secretary to the tax commissioners in 1743. And his salary shot up to £90. So that's probably mm, about £22,000. Anyway, uh, also on this, he had commissions on the side uh, where he was paid for being responsible, for example, overseeing the finance for the construction of Westminster Bridge, which was completed in 1750. 
until then, there was only one bridge to cross the River Thames, and it was London Bridge. Often carriages would get stuck trying to cross the bridge uh, because there was no driving on the left, driving on the right. It was just straight ahead. And in one incident, there was a traffic jam that took three hours to clear. So you can imagine mm. the confusion. So the bridge was very necessary. Uh, Payne was the only member of Gentry to serve as Grand Master twice, once in 1718 and again in 1720. Later, he was Senior Grand Warden in 1724, then appointed to the Charity Committee in 1727, and finally as Deputy Grand Master in 1735. Payne also outlived the other two original Grand Masters. Uh, he lived until uh, 1757, and so he's the only one of the original three Grand Masters to know anything about the competing Grand Lodge of the Ancients, which was mm. established in 1751. In the Constitutions of 1738, it states that Payne asked lodges uh, in 1718, and there was probably only about 16 lodges at that time, uh, to send any documents uh, that or manuscripts that they may have to the Grand Lodge. And then Payne compiled these into general regulations and a history of Freemasonry. Many people see Payne in a, a role similar to James Anderson uh, as a scribe for the society, probably because he wanted to keep a low profile. Uh, especially is in the early days of Freemasonry, it was not known how the government would view their activities, especially with the conspiracies and threats of invasion that were circulating at the time. Also, uh, de Sagulier has been portrayed as the driving force of Freemasonry in the early days, especially as his name is on the constitutions of 1723 as Deputy Grand Master when the Duke of Wharton was Grand Master. However, I However, I believe that uh, Payne had an important role as an antiquarian, not just collecting documents for the Grand Lodge. Through his connections with other antiquarians, such as the Duke of Montague and the Earl of Dalkeith, he was, in, he was able to invite them to be the first and third noble Grand Masters. And having nobility as Grand Masters helped raise the image of Freemasonry and secure its future success. We do not have a picture of Payne. Uh, we have pictures of, of Anthony Sayer and John de Sagulier. And the picture on Wikipedia's entry for Payne is actually not the man himself. <laughs> the woman is in the picture is his great niece, George Payne's great niece, and the man is her husband. So mm. very tenuous relationship. But in those days, it was 
popular to have a portrait painted. And I wonder if there isn't an unidentified painting of, of George Payne in some country house hanging in a guest room somewhere. Perhaps, perhaps it'll... Maybe. Perhaps, it's a good research um, project for somebody. <laughs> George Payne died uh, February 23rd, 1757. And as he had no children, his estate went to his wife, Anne, and his brother, Thomas's two daughters, who had uh, ma actually married into nobility. So personally, in summary, I believe that the present success of Freemasonry is due in a great part to George Payne attracting two noble grandmasters to Freemasonry and raising the public image of Freemasonry, which at the time was on the verge of declining into a gentleman's dining club. Mm -hmm. And so he safeguarded our future in one way of thinking. <laughs> that's my 25 cents worth. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that, that's interesting take, actually, because, yes, yeah, it's, it's a difficult thing to, to try and quantify or think about the early days of Freemasonry. But what, yes. one interesting thing, talking about the rents in Grosvenor Square, when I was an architectural technician, I worked on the sale of the American Embassy, which is in Wow, yes. Wow. And, um, yeah, that, that's a multi-billion, billion-dollar site. I was involved in doing some analysis there, but yeah, it's um, it's, that's it's probably the most, square. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Probably the most yeah. expensive real estate in London. That square. Yeah, and then now they've moved to somewhere near the tower. I forget where it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember they, exactly. And they've built a, another ostentatious building surrounded another by hit. a moat of all things. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> the American Embassy is possibly the ugliest building I've ever seen in my entire life. It was yeah. absolutely. But yeah. purposeful, it serves a purpose. Yeah, that's what it's. It's um, a utilitarian building, Absolutely. but Absolutely. Uh, the moat is a bit too much Walt Disney for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <Bit> well, <laughs> excellent. Well, I, I think that that's just about wraps it up. Thank you for that, Brother Angel. That's very informative. If you have any questions, please email on the link below. We now part on the square, and we will meet soon. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.